Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to wrap up our series today with a message explaining why a gospel-centered family loves the church. Do you love the church? A gospel-centered family loves the church. This is part 10. It's the concluding uh, message of the series. In fact, there's many more messages I'd like to bring to you at a later date. In fact, I was sharing with Pastor Dan this morning. I'm going to bring another message um, that I, I feel is so pertinent to our um, church family about the gospel-centered family, and I'm going to share that on Father's Day, this coming Father's Day in the month of June. I want to talk with you today about a marriage. And the marriage I have in mind is not my marriage. Almost of 27 years, my beautiful bride, Tina, or your marriage. Nor is it the institution of marriage. No, this morning I want to talk to you about Christ's love for his bride, the church. I want to speak to you about his devotion and sacrifice for what is for him the unrivaled passion of his heart. And I want to stress that if the church means this much to Jesus, it ought to mean that much to you and me. In fact, I want to use the analogy that Paul uses of Christ's love for the church that is often used about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. As I read verses 25 through 32, I want to encourage you to look beyond the secondary application to husbands to the primary application of Jesus and the church. Wives, I want to ask you to not be examining your husband this morning as we walk through this passage. Instead, let the foundational and most incredible and beautiful relationship described here be magnified in this place in our lives today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Oh, we thank you for your amazing love how unconditional your love is. We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you so much. Your love that you have revealed to us through your Son, our Savior, Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would do the work here this morning. Spirit of the living God, do what only you can do. Not what no man can do, but do what you do and that you do so well and so perfectly. Open our hearts and minds to the truth of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for Ephesians chapter 5, inspired by you, almighty God. Speak, I pray. Speak, I pray. Open hearts, open minds. Quiet the busyness of our hearts and minds here this morning we might hear what you say and have the courage and strength, the grace to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the 10th message of the series, The Gospel-Centered Family. All the messages are online. You can go to our website and listen to them. I preached from this text a couple different times during the series and just sensed the, 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 the leading of the Holy Spirit back to this portion of, of Scripture as we wrap up this series this morning. And so I trust and pray that you will be encouraged and built up and strengthened in your walk with God and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole context of this passage is about marriage, about marriage. The whole context of this passage about marriage has Christ's passion and love for his bride, the church, as its foundation. And the point is clear and the point is powerful. Jesus wholeheartedly, unconditionally loves his church. He loves his church. You know, there is a moment in every wedding when the bride walks down the aisle to her groom and I've had the privilege to officiate lots of weddings. In fact, I met a couple yesterday at a memorial service that I officiated and they shared that I officiated their wedding and I didn't remember. Hopefully that wasn't a senior moment. I've had the joy of, of doing lots of weddings over the last 31 years. And I have one of the best house, best seats in the house. Um, everyone rises to their feet as Canon and Dee plays and all eyes turn to the bride as she walks through those doors there in the, in the west foyer. Radiant, beautiful, adorned in white, walking toward the man who is usually standing right over here to, to, my, to my left who has captured her heart. And, and as pastor, I have a unique vantage point for this special moment. I get to stand in the center of that aisle alongside of the groom so I get the best view possible. I'll tell you what I do. I take a peek. I look. I always look over at the groom's face. And I always, how many do that? I just am always moved by the expression of the groom's face. He is grinning from ear to ear in anticipation, lost in love for the one who is coming down the aisle. Now listen. If you can see that look on the groom's face, if you can just Capture the, the expression. The look of the groom's face. Then you have a small understanding of the intensity of Christ's love for his church. 
It resonates through today's passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And what makes this passage even more striking for me is that I'm a part of his church, and, and you are too. The church in the Bible is made up of those who have been born again, born of God's spirit. Pastor Bob talked about this in the opening of the service. The church is God's people, born again, born of God's spirit. It's you and me and every believer in every place around the world who has placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The truth is when you read that just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, you might as well be reading, Jesus loves me like that. It becomes intensely personal to meditate on the words of Christ. Love the church when when I see that I am included among those he loves, and, and you are too. How precious, how personal, and how beautiful. And it moves me deeply when I see the Greek word for love that Paul uses here. Just as Christ also loved the church, he gave himself for her. It's agape. It refers to the absolute unselfish sacrifice of Christ on the cross for, for my sake and for your sake. His love for me never quits. His love for you never quits. It, it never wavers. His love for me never weakens. His love for you never weakens. In fact, the Bible tells us nothing can separate us from his love. His love pursues us chases us, woos us, saves us. Amen? And then I read that he gave himself for his bride, the church. I can't help but count the cost he has personally undertaken for me and for you. It brings me to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53. And there in verses 3 through 9, we read... And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, speaking of Jesus, prophetically, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, unjustly condemned. He was led away, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, Isaiah prophesies. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ is how far he will go for me and for you, his bride, the church. And this truly is a display of God's grace and mercy, his unconditional, unfailing, redeeming love. How precious. 
And when I read that his love for the church moved him with purpose to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, we see this in our main scripture text this morning, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. I'm so grateful to see my complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh. In those words, my justification is accomplished, just as if I've never sinned and the patient work of making me holy like himself that he may sanctify God is love Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is what love isn't he describes love as being patient long suffering And I'm so grateful in this sanctification process, being made like Christ. That's a process. How are you doing in the process? He's making us like him in this process called sanctification. When we're born again, born of God's spirit, we are justified, just as if we've never sinned. In fact, the Bible says, He remembers our sin no more. He doesn't come down. God doesn't come down with spiritual amnesia. He no longer holds them against us. We are forgiven. How many forgiven people do we have here today? But now we're in the sanctification process. We're becoming every day more and more like Jesus. How many here are becoming more and more like Jesus? That's my desire. And the reason why that's my desire, because that's why Jesus came. He came not only to forgive me, but to sanctify me, to make me like him. And so I'm his, I'm his workmanship, amen? I'm God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, being made new in this process of sanctification. Isn't that beautiful, church? What we see is truly amazing. Christ is totally committed to the church, regardless of her imperfections and flaws. I have imperfections. I have flaws. You're free to ask my wife. You're free to ask my my children, my family. I have imperfections. I have flaws. In the present tense, he is sanctifying her he's sanctifying his bride the church me imperfect me flawed me forgiven me but imperfect me forgiven me but flawed me that he might present our text the text here in ephesians 5 um, declares to us here today that he might present her to himself a glorious church. When we truly grasp the truth the Apostle Paul shares here in Ephesians 5, we won't stumble over the imperfections that are going to be exposed when a, when a group of imperfect people gather together to serve God and fulfill the great commission. And God has given us a word of exhortation today about fulfilling the great commission. But we won't stumble over the imperfections, the flaws. 
that are going to be exposed when a group of imperfect people gather together to serve God and fulfill the Great Commission. You know, marriage, when I think of marriage, I see marriage as an unconditional commitment to love until death do two imperfect people part. It's an unconditional commitment to love an imperfect person with flaws. And I have a whole lot more than my wife does. Boy, I'm going to get a really awesome dinner today. (laughs) Oh, God, forgive me for those selfish motives. (laughs) It's okay to laugh. You know, the Bible says laughter do it good like a medicine. Amen? And so I'm glad that God, when he made us, he gave us laughing muscles. I need to exercise those muscles a little more. This group of people is called the local church. You'll understand that the bride has flaws. The church has flaws. She is in the process of becoming flawless. It's the bride of Christ. Who Jesus loves. Who Jesus has forgiven. And is patiently, as I've already shared, sanctifying. Who is preparing a home for her in his father's house. And will one day return for his glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Jesus is deeply in love with his bride, the church. Are you? In fact, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Not to reduce the Holy Spirit to an engagement ring, but the church has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee that Christ will come again and take us with him. Again, Paul writes, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, until Christ comes for his bride, the church. We are the purchased possession. And he purchased us with his blood on the cross through his death. In that sense, we can view the Holy Spirit as God's engagement ring to his bride, the church. Being sealed with the Holy Spirit validates that the church is the bride of Christ. He's coming back for his bride one day. You see, back in Paul's day, when important documents or letters were sealed, it would use a signet ring. A signet ring usually had an inscription on it or an impression that was used as as a seal. The inscription or impression was a symbol of ownership. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God's guarantee, an engagement ring that he's coming for his bride. Isn't that glorious, church? We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
When I asked Tina to marry me, I gave her a ring. When other men saw this beauty, they were like, she already belongs to someone. We already belong to someone. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can I hear a big amen? Amen. Paul, writing of Christ's bride, says, Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is a sign of his deep love, his, 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 his deep commitment, and his guarantee to keep his promises. Remember right before Jesus arrests, he promised his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. One day, Jesus is coming back for his love, his bride, the church. The more like Christ I become, the more I love what he loves and the more I devote myself to what he loves. Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. The gospel-centered family understands this amazing truth. Jesus loves the church. He is 100% committed to the church, to you, to me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The gospel-centered family loves the church, flaws and all. The gospel-centered family models its love for the church, Christ's bride, to the next generation. Here's three ways we, we model our love. Our love for the bride of Christ, the church. Number one, by the way we speak about Christ's bride. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's given this instruction. When you talk about each other, when you talk about the bride of Christ, when you talk about the church, this is the instruction that the apostle Paul gives. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but, is what, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know how we speak about Christ's bride can grieve the Holy Spirit? By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The words we speak are powerful. We've talked about this during this series. My words influence others, but they also influence me. When I speak evil, I not only reveal the sin in my own heart, I also reinforce that evil, that evil that I speak and cause it to grow, not only in me, but in other people. Affecting not only me, but those closest to me. How we speak about Christ's bride, the church, influences and shapes the next generation's attitude about the church. 
Christ's bride, who he passionately, passionately loves. We can't expect the next generation to love Christ's bride if all they hear is negative things about his bride. Criticism of Christ's bride is offensive to Christ. If you criticize my bride, that's offensive to me. Now, you don't do that, and I'm grateful for that. We're so blessed by your love. Christ died for his church. He's forgiven her. And now he's patiently sanctifying her, making her holy, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, according to Ephesians 5.27. It's a part of our main scripture text this morning. For several years, for several years now, there has been a whole lot of concern about the millennials leaving their faith. They're defined as those ages 18 to 34. Research shows nearly six in 10 of millennials who grew up in the church end up walking away from their faith. And this is a very concerning trend. And I pray, Lord, grant us wisdom to reach them, to love them, to woo them back into your fold through the power of your spirit. You know, I believe one way we can reach them is by the way we speak about Christ's bride, the church. May our speech about Christ's bride, bride be pleasing to God. May our words we speak point others to Jesus and influence the next generation, the millennials, to, to love the church just like Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. That's how I want to love the church. Because my example is Jesus, and that's how he loved the church. Proverbs 16, 24, I love the Proverbs. It says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Pleasant words, not negative, critical. I recently read, kind hearts are the garden, kind thoughts are the roots, kind words are the flowers, kind deeds are the fruits. Isn't that cool? Hey, another way we can model our love for Christ's bride is by the way we support Christ's bride. Romans 15 verses 1, 5, and 6 say, we then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak. Scruples, flaws. Flaws, failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Now may the God of patience and, and comfort... Oh, I just like that. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 9, 10 and 12 say, love with, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't wear a mask. That word hypocrisy in the Greek. Be real. Don't be fake. Don't wear a mask. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Be of the same mind toward one another. In other words, don't be prideful, thinking you're better than everyone else. We think we do when we criticize others. When we, when we criticize the bride of Christ, we think we're better. 
Because if Jesus was our standard, we wouldn't criticize others. We criticize others because we make ourselves the standard. And that's why we criticize, we put down. And that's why we put down the bride of Christ. It's really a pride issue. Everything always goes back to the root, pride. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 5.19 says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Hebrews 10.24.25 say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on and build each other up. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. 1 Peter 4.8 says, and above all these things have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin. Here's a third way we can model our love for Christ's bride, by the way we serve Christ's bride. The bride of Christ is also the body of Christ. We see this in today's main scripture text. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.30, he writes, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Not only are we the bride of Christ, but we see also in our main scripture text, we are the body of Christ. Paul changes the imagery of the bride of Christ, imagery that tells us how deeply in love and devoted Christ is to us, his bride, the church, to the imagery of the body of Christ. And the imagery of the body of Christ conveys to us that we have an assignment to fulfill, and we heard something about that assignment today through the prophetic word of exhortation given by our sister. We have responsibility in this grace-filled relationship we share not only as Christ's bride, but also as the body of Christ. We share a grace-filled relationship with each other. We have mission from heaven. We have purpose from heaven. To serve one another, yes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul uses the imagery of the body of Christ. He, he writes in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. He continues in verse 7, the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, for the profit of all. And that's the purpose of prophecy when spoken in a corporate gathering like today. He continues in verses 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Every born-again believer receives spiritual gifts to serve to serve the body of Christ, to serve the church, the bride of Christ. And one way we try to help discover your 
spiritual gift and provide you opportunities to serve the body of Christ, to serve the local church, to serve the bride of Christ is through our welcome to the team class. Team is an acronym for together experiencing a ministry. You see, when we serve the body of Christ, we model our love for Christ's bride and his church. Paul continues in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You're not here by accident. If you think you've chosen this place, this body of believers, you're fooling yourself. The steps of a righteous man or ordered of the Lord. There's one church that Jesus is building, and it's all over the world, and we are a local expression of his universal church that he loves. In God's sovereignty, he places us in the body of Christ, his church, to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to serve the body of Christ, and to share the gospel of Christ. Those are our four core values here at Greece Assembly. Paul continues, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. I can't say that about Ken, and Ken can't say that about me. I can't say that about Monica, and Monica cannot say that about me. We need every single member, amen? God has strategically placed Every member as he will and has gifted each member as he wills to strengthen us, to build us up. We might glorify his name and reach our community and our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank God for you. You know, I thank God for this team. I thank God for all of you up there. I was so blessed this morning here early. I was in my sweats. I had a sweatshirt on, and everybody was doing the Lord's work, getting things ready for you. I thanked them this morning in prayer. Thank you for serving the Lord. Thank you for serving this body. We prayed, and then I said, let's give them Jesus. Let's give them Jesus. And they do this week after week after week because it's all about Jesus. They're not up here performing, but worshiping. Every inch of this building yesterday was used. Hundreds of people were serving in so many different ways yesterday. Not an exaggeration. Why? Because when you woke up on Saturday, you knew, man, I have this amazing opportunity to give Jesus to someone today. And boy, that happened in so many different ways yesterday. To God be the glory. Every member in the body of Christ contributes to the growth and health of the church. I thank God for you. We need each other. And by the grace of God, we are a part of the body of Christ. We are connected, joined to one another, like it or not. I like it. Let's celebrate each other. We're filled with the same grace, saved by the same Jesus, passionately loved by the same Jesus. Let's show the next generation how much we love the bride of Christ by serving each other in the body of Christ. 
According to 1 Peter 2.5, we are being built up a spiritual house, a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Jesus said in Matthew 23.11, I love this, the greatest among you will be your servants. Philippians 2.13 and 14 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining. Another translation says without grumbling. Without grumbling. As I begin to wrap up here this morning, there are several reasons why I love the church. I'm only going to share four of them today. Number one, Jesus is building the church. Jesus is building the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. And what an honor to be a part of something Jesus is building. I'm grateful for his grace, and I know you are too. Another reason why I love the church, number two, the church wins at the end. You know, many times I've been in that big game. Many of you know the Madeira's household. We enjoy sports, and I've enjoyed coaching in my later years, and I've had the privilege to to coach some teams that, that got to the big game don't know what it feels like to win the big game. I'm very familiar with what it feels like to lose the big game. Oh. My son just had one of those experiences last weekend, state finals in Binghamton. It hurts. But son, you're saved by God's grace. You've been forgiven. You're being sanctified. And though it hurt last weekend to lose that big game, you're part of the church, the bride of Christ. I encourage you to grow, to love the church. You're on the winning team. You're on the winning team. Jesus said, In the gates of hate shall not prevail against his church Matthew 16 18b the gates of Hayes is a symbol of death to the Jews Jesus is saying I will build my church and death won't stop me you see death is Satan's most powerful weapon he first used it on Christ he thought if he could kill the builder of the church he could kill the church but I got news The builder came out of the grave. And that's what Easter is all about. And since then, throughout the history of the church, and I love reading about the history of the church, Satan has endeavored to wipe out the church. People have died as martyrs even to this day. Christ followers are dying for their faith, for the cause of Christ. 
But church history will tell you the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed in which the church flourishes and multiplies and continues to grow. The church is going to be victorious. The church is victorious. And I'm part of something that is eternal. And you're part of something that is eternal. I get this privilege, this grace privilege to pour my life into the church that Jesus is building and Satan's most powerful weapon, death can't even stop it. I love what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, haze, where is your victory? Two more and we're done. I'm gonna get home to that delicious dinner. The church is the most precious possession God has on earth. Acts 20, 28 is a word to pastors and, and church elders. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. His own blood. How precious is the church? God has paid the infinite price. I love the church because Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. He loved the church enough to give his blood for the church. That's how precious the church is to Jesus. And boy, I want the church to be that precious to me. And Jesus wants it to be that precious to you. And he wants us to model it to the next generation that they would just fall in love with the bride of Christ, the church. The fourth reason I love the church is simple. Jesus loves the church. And if he loves the church, it's good enough for me. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for the church is a witness to the unbelieving world. It's a testimony of God's redeeming love. In Ephesians 5, the primary teaching is not about husbands or wives, nor is about the children, where in Ephesians 6, 1, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. These are secondary teachings. The primary teaching focuses on the love Christ has for his bride, the church. The primary teaching on submission is a teaching for the church to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And this makes all the difference in our earthly relationships. The primary teaching on love and respect and, and honor and, and obedience is a teaching for the church to first love, respect, honor, and obey God. And in loving and respecting and, and honoring and obeying God, you will love, respect, honor one another. You see, when our vertical relationship with God is right, our horizontal relationship with our spouses and families, with other people we have relationship with, will be right. It's all about Christ and his bride. That's what this book is all about. From cover to cover. 
And there's a lot of secondary teachings. We tend to focus on those secondary teachings, but the primary teaching is all about Christ and his bride. This is a love letter. Remember writing love letters? Oh my goodness, we wrote lots back and forth to each other. That's what this book is. It's all about Christ and his bride. The church is all about his unfeeling love for us. A flawed people. You see, the gospel-centered family loves God. And because they love God, they love God's church, his bride. A bunch of forgiven, flawed people. Would you join me standing? Let's sing this song together. And as the worship team leads us in this song, God loves you. He came to you to save you, to forgive you of your sin, and to invite you to have a personal relationship with him. And if you desire today to have this personal relationship with God, if you desire for your sins to be forgiven today, as as the worship band leads us in this song of worship, I invite you to come to the front here. One of the pastors will be more than happy to pray with you, to encourage you, to bless you with the Bible. Maybe you want to come. The Holy Spirit of God is is dealing with you, is convicting you. You want to come, you want to step out of your seat and come, feel free and do that.